Well, it is good to be back with you again this morning on this glorious day. Chris is absolutely right. Names do mean something. Richard means tall, dark, and handsome, which just goes, <laughs> which just goes to show that sometimes parents can get it badly wrong. <laughs> Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for that uh, tremendous song that we've just sung. And I do pray, Lord, that with deep convictions and warm hearts, we would be pressing on um, today. Father, we li- live in a world that is so uh, chaotic, so uncertain, so unstable, so insecure. And we do pray, Lord, that in the midst of this kind of maelstrom of different ideas and cross-currents, there would be here a community of people who know exactly who they are, who know why they're here, who know where they're going, and who do all of that with great joy and confidence, not arrogance, but great humility, because it's only possible through the Lord Jesus. So do hear our prayers, and we ask, Lord, that as we look at your word today, you would come and feed us. We need to hear from you, Father God. So would you speak a father's voice, and may your children receive it with joy and confidence, and live it out with faith and obedience. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be thinking about facing the future with joy this morning. And uh, I wonder how you face up to the future. Uh, Albert Einstein said, I I never think about the future, it'll come soon enough. I I suspect as a society we're just a whole lot less optimistic than we used to be. We've noted already that despite all our advances in science and technology and despite all the the kind of levels of prosperity that our grandparents just wouldn't have been able to get their heads around, we're no more confident about the future than they, probably a whole lot less. We're anxious about global warming, the global economy, global terrorism, and who will care for us as we grow older? Uh, Woody Allen was right when he observed, the future's not what it used to be. That's a great comment. The future's not what it used to be. Actually, the future's not what it used to be for the Apostle Paul either, but in a very different kind of way. Paul's always been optimistic about the future. If anyone had the credentials to make the future on his own, under his own steam, it's the Apostle Paul. Just take a look at his CV in verse 4. Born into a Jewish family that can trace its roots right back through the tribe of Benjamin to the patriarchs. A strict Pharisee who follows the letter of the law. You, you won't catch Paul out on how much mint you ought to tithe. You certainly won't find him mixing his woolens and his cottons in the washing machine. Oh, Paul's fanatical. He he even campaigns for the the death of Christians. He's so zealous for the truth. If there's a t-shirt, Paul's worn it. If there's a book, he's read it. If there's a video, he's seen it. Paul can tick all the boxes. If ever there was a human being that's earned his place in the future, it's Paul. But maybe that's the point. If ever there was a human being who's earned his place. See, before he became a Christian, Paul was a performance-driven legalist. But by any standards you care to mention, he is the bee's knees, the ultimate high flyer. He does it all right. And then something happens that changes all of that. I say something, I really mean someone, don't I? We saw yesterday the Lord Jesus has changed all that. The Lord Jesus has shown Paul that all his legalistic righteousness doesn't 
cattle in heaven. God is not impressed in the slightest. In fact, I think rather the reverse. God is profoundly angry. There's a man who thinks he can make it on his own. And yet, to Paul's delight, he discovers that the Lord Jesus is willing to give him freely everything he's been trying to achieve through his own human efforts. This earth-shattering, this life-changing discovery throws everything else into perspective. The day Paul meets Jesus, he does a major U-turn on the road to Damascus. And after that, the future can never be the same again. Look with me, with me at verse 7, will you? Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Look how strong this is. I consider them all garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, this would have been blasphemous for Paul to say anything like this just a little while back. But Jesus has changed all that. I wonder what hope you have for the future. Lots of people dream, don't they, of paradise. I I guess if we uh, went into WX Smith or whatever you have here in in Otley and just look at the glossy magazines, the, the the front cover of every glossy magazine Catches someone's idea of heaven. Maybe a perfect garden, it may be a fancy boat, it may be a fast car, it may be a beautiful body, whatever it is. That's someone's idea of heaven. Maybe it's lying on a tropical beach being waited on hand and foot. Well, I'm nearly there already, if that's the, um, the criteria. But listen, the only true paradise that's on offer is a paradise that's only ever going to appeal to Christians. Because the only true paradise that is, that's on offer is, paradise, is only paradise because the Lord Jesus is there. And what makes paradise paradise? The thought of knowing him perfectly and loving him fully and being with him forever. That's what makes paradise paradise. And that's why Paul is so optimistic about the future. A very simple definition of a Christian is someone who's in love with the Lord Jesus. Someone who's in love with the Lord Jesus. It's really easy to work out if you are in love with someone. Think with me for a moment about a compass needle, which kind of in the hurly-burly of life spins this way and that. But (coughs) you allow it to settle, and the needle will always find its way back to pose and all. If you love someone, you can be distracted by 101 things. But as soon as you get the chance, as soon as you've got the headspace and the heart space, your mind will be drawn back to them again. And you'll think about them. And you'll want to be with them. And you'll want to be able to talk to them. If you're in love with someone, you can't wait to be with them. And now, because of that Damascus Road encounter with Jesus, that's how it is for the Apostle Paul, whose ideas about the future have been turned upside down. 
It's no longer about him. It's all about the Lord Jesus and he longs for the future more than he's ever done before. But Paul's idea of longing doesn't mean kind of mooning around, watching the, uh, the paint dry. No, Paul's still a driven man. He's still an activist. It's just the, the focus of his ambition has changed. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain him to the resurrection of the dead. He expressed the same kind of yearning back in in chapter 1. We didn't touch on this then, but just come back with me to chapter 1, verse 21, will you? Some of the most amazing words in the whole of the Bible. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That is how dramatically that encounter on the Damascus Road has changed Paul's whole outlook on life. His whole purpose in life now is not to be known. His whole purpose in life now is to make Christ known. These days, everything he is and everything he does is for the sake of Jesus. He wants his whole life to be an expression of the devotion he feels for him. That's what he's doing right now in his prison cell in Rome. So if to live is Christ and to die is gain, how does Paul perceive this relationship with the Lord Jesus? And how does he encourage his friends in Philippi? Well, in the section we're looking at in chapter 3 this morning, Paul kind of plays around with, with three different images of activity. He kind of invites us to run with me, and then to walk with me, and then to stand with me. Run with me. If you've seen uh, Chariots of Fire, you, you may recall one particular moment when Harold Abrahams is uh, about to run the race of his life. He's competing in the 100-yard sprint at the Paris Olympics. He's thought of little else for the last two years. Uh, and the camera is cleverly positioned on the starting line, looking down the track towards the finishing tape. All you can see is the finishing tape at the end of the track. And the point is simple. Abrahams has a one-track his whole being is completely focused on one thing and nothing is going to distract him. Well, Paul's a bit like that. Or to change the image, Paul's a bit like a marathon runner at the Olympics. He's getting near the end of the race and he's got a clear sight of the goal now, a great prize which spurs him on. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is this prize? Well, I think from the context of the passage, it is sharing a redeemed universe with the Lord Jesus. That's what we see back in verse 10, isn't it? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's what we see at the end of the passage, verse 20. We eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our, transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious bodies. That's the prize. Retirement is going to give me a new and exciting opportunity to explore daytime TV. <laughs> <laughs> I can hardly wait. <clears throat> I'm particularly looking forward to Wanted Down Under. 
Wanted Down Under is a kind of morning TV series, so I'm told, which has been running since 2007. It shows families considering emigrating from the UK to either Australia or New Zealand. Apparently they tried to, to, tried to run a, a series down, uh, down in Australia called Wanted Up Over, <laughs> but actually nobody wanted to come, so they, were, <laughs> they had to give that up. Anyway, Wanted Down Under, kind of the candidates explore different aspects of life down under. Accommodation, lifestyle, employment. And each family has the chance to vote on each uh, item. Are they for staying or are they for going? And at the end of the programme, the family makes an overall vote. To go or to stay. Well, Paul's not wanted down under. He's wanted up higher. That's his destiny. For Paul, sharing a, a renewed earth and a resurrected body with a reigning Lord. That's the prize. That's the home that beats all homes. Wanted up higher. That's the prize that motivates Dear brothers and sisters, that's the prize that ought to motivate us this morning. We are wanted up higher. How does this motivate Paul to run the race? Well, look at verse 12. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says it again in verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. You can't miss the point, can you? Images like pressing on and straining towards. You can almost feel the perspiration dripping off them. They call for total commitment, don't they? I was very impressed with Richard yesterday. He's going to run the Great North Run before long. Refusing to have a taste and making me feel guilty in the process. That's the bit that really annoyed me. <laughs> but just kind of showing a degree of dedication to this you can tell that I don't run many marathons myself. But those who do tell me they require masses of energy and exertion and determination. And, and not just masses of it, but masses of it for a very long time. No good being half-hearted without a marathon, is it? Just demands everything you've got to give and more. And that's how it is with the Christian life. Just wonder whether... Maybe this morning, we're still tired about church. Church seems so relentless. Like we kind of said in passing, Sunday comes round once a week. <laughs> does church take it out of you? Well, if it does, you're in good company. Run with Paul. We can't overestimate the importance of what Paul's saying here. If we're passionate about the future, it is really important that we get this straight. Come back with me to his ultimate desire in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And he realises what a potentially dangerous claim this is, so he preempts our objections in verse 12. Don't think I've got there yet. I haven't already obtained all this. I haven't already been made perfect. But I press on. He reinforces the point in verse 13. Don't consider, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, even an apostle as great as Paul needs to keep on running. Why does this matter? It matters because sometimes, dear brothers and sisters, we feel insecure. 
Sometimes we feel we might just be missing out on something. There is some, just some elusive spiritual experience out there that if only we could just take hold of it, we'd be there. Or maybe we feel deeply frustrated with our Christian lives. Why is it that I need to come back and confess the same sin again? I know there's so many things I could be forgiven of, but can Father God forgive me of this again? Or we feel disappointed that our church isn't growing like the way we, we hoped it would, the way we long that it should. And I think what Paul says here ought to be a great comfort to us. This frustration is normal. It's good to remember that the very pinnacle of human joy is only ever penultimate. It's only a tiny glimpse of glory to and the very darkest, most disappointing experience in this life, the day of our deepest, darkest failures, isn't the last word. Simply serve to increase our appetite for glory to come. I wonder if sometimes we just allow ourselves to, to experience slightly too much spiritual disappointment because we forget that there's no heaven here. There's not the improvement in our own life we wish there was. There's not the growth in church we long to see. We feel maybe we're missing out on some genuine intimacy with God. And I'm not saying we shouldn't strive and long for all those things. But just remember, perfection is for the future. And in the moment, let's run in the present. I love the fact that Paul doesn't want to dwell on the good old days. Look at verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to, to win the goal for which God has called me. Do you know where he got that from? He got that from the Lord Jesus. He constantly, through the whole of his life, strove towards what? For the joy that is set before me, I despise the consequences. So Paul runs, and this morning he invites us to run with him. But then he changes the image and kind of plays around with a slightly different one. And, and from run with me, he says, walk with me. Verse 17, join with me in, follow, in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live, literally who walk, according to the pattern we gave you. Walking is a great way to describe the Christian life, isn't it? Not, not like yesterday's aimless amble through the afternoon sun. No, this is kind of striding out with purpose, one step at a time, heading somewhere. And here is Paul saying, join me in this walk. That's verse 17, but what do you make of verse 15? All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. It seems as though Paul is saying something like this, think like me, walk like me, and if you're not quite with me in this, don't worry, God's at work, he'll sort you out along the way. Say, so, ooh, that sounds a touch arrogant, but it isn't. Paul's a brilliant pastor. He's no fool. He knows human nature really well. Paul understands that we all have our heroes. 
someone we like to imitate, whether it's Ed Sheeran or Catherine Jenkins. The question is not whether we follow people, the question is who we follow. Are we going to imitate the celebs who are fated today and forgotten tomorrow? Or are we going to imitate someone who's got it right about the future? See, Paul's not claiming that we should follow him because he's got everything sorted. He's made that abundantly plain. He's calling us to follow him because he's on the right track. He wants us to think like him, to have the same attitude as he has walked with me, he says. Walk with Paul and we won't be walking alone. Look at verse 17. Join with me in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who walk according to the pattern we gave you. See, there is an established pattern of Christian living here. One that Paul is pursuing and we need to pursue along with him. And what is it? Well, I think we kind of get the answer negatively in verse 18. As I've often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. In other words, if Paul is a good model to follow, there are plenty of folk around who don't. Look how he describes them. Enemies of the cross of Christ. And I don't think that means that they are especially wicked people, stridently anti-Christian people, militantly atheistic people. I just think they've got it profoundly wrong. What does it mean to be an enemy of the cross? Does it mean kind of setting fire to things like the Ku Klux Klan? No, it's far closer to home than that. What is the pattern of the cross? Well, the pattern of the cross goes like this. Suffering in this life, followed by glory in the next. That's the pattern of the cross. But if there is no heaven tomorrow, then what on earth is the point in suffering today? Why not live easy lives, have fun? Enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry. Invest in earthly things, money, home, career, family. But watch out, says Paul, that mindset will make you an enemy of the cross. A friend of the cross is someone who is investing in the future for the joy that was set before him. The Lord Jesus invested in the future. And if we understand that, we'll be willing to endure whatever the world throws at us. We'll keep straining and pressing on toward the goal, frustrating and exhausting though that may be at times. And that's why Paul calls us to walk with him. Not because he's the perfect guide, but because he's on the right track. Run with me. Walk with me. But thirdly, stand with me. Remember, Paul is writing to his friends in Philippi. Uh, a century before Paul visited the city, a man who would go on to become the Roman Emperor Augustus paid his first visit to Philippi. Because it was very close to the site of one of his most famous victories, he decided to award Philippi the highest honour on offer. He gave the Philippians full rights as Roman citizens. Everyone else in the empire was a mere colonial. Every citizen of Philippi was a Roman. Now, if you can kind of click on that thought and drag it into verse 20, you'll begin to see what Paul means when he says our citizenship 
is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there. When Paul talks about our citizenship being in heaven, he knows the Philippians are going to be exactly on the right wavelength. They know what it means to be different. They're different already. He knows what they, he, they know what it means to be a citizen of a faraway place, because that's what they are now. They're Romans living in the middle of a Greek world. But Paul reminds them that they have a citizenship above and beyond their Roman citizenship, a, a citizenship that trumps being Roman. Live as heaven. I don't know about you, but I, but I get weary of, of living in a world that doesn't believe what I believe. I am surrounded by people who don't value the things that matter to me. I, I live in a world that if, if people really knew what I thought and how I believed and how I lived my life, they would think I was completely mad. Possibly not mad, even and I need to live my life confidently, joyfully, in the midst of a, a world that absolutely doesn't get it and doesn't get me as a result. And frankly, I find that personally dispiriting at times and wearying at other times. And I need to remember that my citizenship is in heaven. I'm not a Roman anticipating the arrival of an emperor. I'm a citizen of heaven, anticipating the arrival of a king. I'm a citizen of a different kingdom. I'm following a different king. I'm inspired by a different hope. Why don't we say all of that in a different way? I'm, I'm a citizen of a better kingdom. I'm following a better king. I'm inspired by a better Okay, so maybe my heart is in heaven, but my feet are still well and truly anchored to planet Earth. So how do I deal with the fact that I am surrounded by thousands of people who don't like me and don't believe what I believe and don't give a toss about the things that matter to me? Well, come with me just to verse 1, will you? And see how Paul calls us to stand with him. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I long and love and long for, my joy and my crown, we'll come back to that this afternoon, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. You know, it is infinitely easier to stand when we're together. The, the image in Paul's mind is not of uh, an Irish guard standing with that extraordinary hairdo outside Buckingham Palace on his own. This is a Roman saying, standing together. Dear brothers and sisters, we were exploring yesterday about the joy of partnership. Well, this is partnership. Stand together in the Lord, in this way, dear friends. So what happens when you get out of bed tomorrow morning? and pull back the curtains and discover that the world looks pretty much the same as it did last week. Or maybe what happens when you roll up to church next Sunday and next week looks pretty much the way this week did. What then? Well, look at verse 12 again. 
I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Notice that it was Jesus who grabbed hold of me, not me who grabbed hold of him. And then verse 14, I want to win the prize for which God has called me. It's not me who called out to him, it was him who summoned me. Jesus has taken hold of me. God calling me. You, you lovely people of Yorkshire, you'll get this. You, you're not going to forget in a hurry the Triathlon World Series in Mexico last year, are you? Johnny Brownlee leading comfortably, heading into the final kilometer of this 10-kilometer run. And then the heat's beginning to take its toll. He starts to lose his way and weave across the course, stopping at the side of the road. And then a neighbor, Alistair, catching up with him and putting his arm around his shoulder and dragging him the final hundred meters and then pushing him across the finishing line. That inspiring incident reminds us that we have an older brother who is committed to getting us across the finishing line. He wasn't embarrassed to bear our sins. He isn't embarrassed to bear with our weakness now. Why? Verse 21 reminds us he's got a plan. It's a plan to transform our lowly body so that they will be like his glorious body. One day I will be tall, dark and handsome, or, or whatever it is that the Lord Jesus has in mind for me. In the meantime, I need to run, to walk. And with you, my dear brothers and sisters, to stand. Which makes the Christian life the ultimate partnership, doesn't it? Jim Elliot, the missionary martyr, says, Where, wherever you are, be all there. That wonderful motto, wherever you are, dear brothers and sisters in Bethel Church, be all there. But what if we're not Christians? I've just kind of assumed rather foolishly that you all are. But, but what happens if one of us isn't? Well, first of all, what a wonderful place for you to be. What a great community for you to be part of. But, but let me ask you this morning, what have you got to look forward to? Are you pessimistic like Woody Allen? With nothing to look forward to but a hopeless end? Or are you an optimist like the Apostle Paul, driven by the dream of an endless hope? See, there is only one future on earth. The future of Christ. The future of Jesus. Don't you think now, this morning, when we've got a little bit of time, would be a wonderful opportunity to talk and pray with someone about how you can sign on to a new future with the Lord Jesus. And if we are Christians, can I encourage you to be positive about what lies ahead? Maybe you're naturally laid back and it takes a lot to get you going or whatever. Maybe you're focused and ambitious. And but let me ask you, what are you putting your, then put your energies into in this coming year together? It's not about Paul. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and the lost world out there. Shouldn't it be our ambition to get as many of these dear folks? Of the finishing line. 
possibly can. So let's run together towards Christ. Let's walk together in Christ. Let's stand firm together for Christ. Praise God because of him. The future is not what it used to be. Why don't we pray? And let's take a moment quietly just to pray in our own hearts, shall we? It is possible that some of us here are paralysed by things that have gone on in the past. We've never been able to get over them. Maybe some of us are kind of fixated on some glories of the past and life's never been the same again. Father, would you gently turn us around so that we're not looking backwards, but we're looking forward remembering that we're wanted up higher and remembering too that there's an elder brother running alongside us who is really good at putting his arms around us and getting us over the finishing line but please Lord help us not to be so obsessed with getting over the line ourselves that we forget there are so many other people who need to come over the line with us hear our prayer dear Lord Jesus Pour out your spirit on us, we ask, to the glory of God our Father.